Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a very happy Halloween so far. How are you doing today, Nate Salman? Doing great. Wonderful. Thank you, Sydney. Yeah. Awesome. Been well, like, to it. Yeah, me too. Well, so happy you've all decided to spend some of your Halloween here with us today. And I can tell you it's absolutely going to be worth your time. In today's show, we are going to witness two of the best in the sales game perform some live role plays, teaching us how to effectively overcome top sales objections. As we get closer to the end of the year, a lot of you are probably hearing, call me next year or just send me an email or any other variation of that. And if you're looking for a way to address those objections and close your year out strong, be sure to stay tuned because we're going to have a great show today. So let me know where you're all tuning in from today. Salman, Nate, where are you two located again? I would also start going, Nate. Oh, Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. Awesome. And I'm north of the border in beautiful Toronto, Canada. Beautiful Toronto. So we have Idaho, Texas, London, gray London, um, Dublin. Oh, another Toronto. Amazing. Looks like we have a few of those. Um, I'm in Miami myself. So amazing. Thank you all so much for joining today. Today's guests are both founders and top sales coaches. Salman Muhuddin is a top was a top performing quota carrier for over 17 years and now teaches tens of thousands of others how to level up their sales game. Nate Nasrallah is the co-founder of Fluent and is dedicated to teaching reps how to sell with buyers, not to them. They are both expertly qualified to teach us about buyer psychology, objections, and how to remove them as roadblocks. Just to start us off, Nate and Salman, what's the weirdest objection you've ever gotten? Salman, you go for it. All right. Well, it's not so much weird, but uh, last year, about three weeks before the end of Q3, uh, I was working at Asada, and uh, I had a forecasted deal for about, I think, a quarter million dollars. You know, it was going to come in. I committed it to the business. And then I got a call on my cell phone from my champion, who was one of the senior VPs. And she says, Salman, I got some news. I'm leaving the company. And my heart just dropped because she was a committed champion. And, you know, I committed the deal. And I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? This deal is at so much risk. There's only three weeks left till the end of the quarter. What am I going to do? But thankfully, you know, we had established executive alignment uh, early on in the cycle with uh, three C-level executives. So I got on a call with my executive team. We rolled up our sleeves and ultimately we were able to get the deal done. But that day I was just like, I couldn't even sleep. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? But we, we, we got it settled. Amazing. Nate, anything comes to mind for you? Yes, there was one. Um, so it was in 2017. I was calling an executive that we were working with who um, lived in Sonoma County out in California. And I had, you know, called a couple of times was like, you know, it was the day that we were supposed to sign and then go live pretty quickly for his team. Nothing, nothing. And, you know, we had been in like really regular communication. So um, like two days later, he um, finally like calls me back and was like, hey, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, my house was on fire. And I was like, oh, like I, th I took it as a metaphor at yeah. first, right? Like things were not going great. There were some, uh, you know, emergencies in the office. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Did everything, you know, work out all right? He was like, no, it burnt to the ground. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, no, it literally burnt to the ground. And this was the year that there were all of the wildfires um, in California. And like 
Sonoma County just, you know, it was like literally burning. And I was like, oh, wow. I, and so that one very memorable, like the shock of like, oh, your, your house actually burnt to the ground. And he sent me some pictures and it was pretty, it was pretty um, remarkable. And it was like a good reminder. And I actually thought about that this week when I've, I've been working on a deal um, to roll out fluent software to, uh, to a team. Somebody kind of went uh, totally dark and I had just totally forgot that one of their um, main offices was in Tel Aviv. And then he popped back up and of last week and was like, hey, sorry for the radio silence. You know, it's been a little crazy. So good reminder sometimes like, you know, it has literally nothing to do with the deal. Um, and life just happens. Oh, thank you both so much for sharing those. I think it illustrates really well. I mean, the humanity in the sales process, right? Which I think we oftentimes forget. You see, like, we have to overcome this thing. And the, sometimes that's just a real thing. And we just have to be empathetic and understand that things take more time. And also, Salman, in your example, that you had also done other things to kind of bulletproof your deal so that even if this thing happened that you hadn't foreseen, you'd done a lot of work for that to help prevent it. So really excited to jump more into this. And I know we're going to chat more about what makes objections real and not in the future. So everyone stay tuned. Um, before we jump into that, though, you already know that we do sell better shows every single day. Um, but did you know that we have tons of valuable content on YouTube as well? So you can head over there for actionable takeaways that you can implement into your sales process right now. You can use the QR code on the screen or go to sellbetter.xyz. Also, a very special thank you to our partners, Vidyard, WinAI, and ZoomInfo for helping make these shows possible. For our drop of the day, check out the link in the show in the chat to get started with Vidyard for free. So as we jump into our agenda, I would love to hear from everyone in the audience. What is your role? We want to know who we have in the room today, just so we can know how to tailor this conversation as we chat through these role plays and different objections. Um, in By the end of today's show, you will be able to spot a real objection from a brush off. You'll know some of the most actionable strategies to address common objections head on, and you'll have live examples to pull from our two guests today from their live role play of these objections. So as we go through the show, be sure to throw your questions in the Q&A box, and we will be sure to save a few minutes at the end to answer as many questions as we can. All right, to kick us off, Nate, can you help us understand why some objections aren't even real objections and kind of how to sniff those out? Yeah, so sometimes we misinterpret just a question for an objection where the buyer just doesn't have the full context or the full set of information. And in a way, sales training often programs us to read anything that is not overtly positive as something to overcome. When in fact, like asking a question, especially a question that is a bit like probing or critical, that is like a good sign that you're developing a thoughtful, like open relationship where they feel free to bring some of the questions and be like, hey, here's what I'm, I'm thinking about. So objections and questions oftentimes just get misinterpreted and swapped in and out for each other. And they're very different things where somebody's just trying to understand a little bit more and then we, you know, come at it as an objection to combat or handle and overcome as opposed to just something to work through together. Solomon, is there anything you'd add to that? Yeah, no, Nate brought up some good points. I think it's important to understand, like, I would say, I would argue that the majority of objections in cold calls, specifically top of funnel, are brush offs, 
right? Because you're catching people in the middle of the day, in the middle of a meeting, they're not expecting your call. It's not like it's on their calendar. So when they say something like, hey, not interested, I'm in a meeting, send me an email, it's typically a brush off. The more objections and obstacles that are going to come in your cycle, to Nate's point, is going to be those mid-funnel ones, say, once they've committed some time during the sales cycle through a discovery or demo or some sort of pricing negotiation, when that obstacle comes up, like you're too expensive, hey, we're not seeing the value, hey, we need to see your product first, those are real objections. So it's important to differentiate the two. Are there any like phrases or words that you can look out for where it's just kind of, you can think, hmm, maybe this is telling me that this isn't a real objection. This is just a question or a brush off or something else. Yeah. So what I look for is um, anything that is very conversational, where it's a it, where it will if you were to look, write out the sentence or read a transcript, it would literally have a question mark at the end of it. So if I were to say to you, Sydney, like, hey, how would you think about this in this scenario? Or if this were to happen, then how would you know the product or the team help with this? Mm-hmm. So just listen for the phrasing. Like if there is a true question and you could write it with a question mark at the end. And again, what if, how about, what do you think, how would you feel? Those types of openers to it signal like, oh yeah, they're just looking to understand a bit more deeply and work through this with you. I think a lot of times as salespeople, we get stuck in the mindset that it's our job to sell what we're selling no matter what. And so I feel like that makes us kind of defensive. And so if we hear anything that's like, oh, they don't like our products of this, let me prove to them that they need it or that it's good or X, Y, Z. Whereas you're right, we can overlook those smaller nuances where maybe they're just trying to clarify a little bit more. So I really appreciate you sharing them. Yeah, so, no. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I was actually gonna add one point on that because it's a great one, is when I would be ramping new reps, I would not share and I would remove from the onboarding program any type of battle card intentionally because it starts to like inform this idea of like, Think about how in an Excel doc, there's this if-then type statement, like if you hear pricing, if you hear timing, then say this, versus working to just kind of understand what is actually happening in the conversation. And so those battle cards wouldn't even come out until month four, month five, as the seller continued to ramp and they would learn to just kind of understand for what it is, what's going on in that particular person's mind as opposed to learning like a persona based, like when this topic arises, say this. So that's how I would think about it. Love it. So it looks like we have a pretty good mix in the room. We have SDRs, BDRs, some training and enablement people, which is awesome. Marketing team leaders, some people looking for roles, Um, but definitely majority SDRs and a good number of AEs as well. So I know we're going to address a lot of those top and mid funnel objections. Um, Starting with the top of funnel, Salman, I'd love if you could chat through these two really common top of funnel objections, kind of how you approach them um, and any advice you'd have for people who are hearing them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, happy to. So uh, the first one is, you know, I'm not interested. And then there's a lot of top of uh, top of funnel objections that you're going to hear, especially on cold calls. So when we talk about top of funnel, it means, hey, you're making some cold calls, you're on your cold calling block, you're going to come across literally dozens of objections. So I just wanted to touch on two of maybe some of the most common ones. And the first one is not interested. And there's a couple of use cases here, right? So if somebody somebody says, I'm not interested, that means your message in in one, one, one use case, it means your message is not resonating with them, right? Whatever you're saying, whether it's in your opening, whether it's in your problem statement, it's not resonating with them. 
but it also mean that your message is just not that interesting, right? And one of the reasons that happens to a lot of uh, sales folks, especially early in my career, when I started cold calling back in 06 at IBM, is because I started with the capabilities. I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm working at a company called Sitecore. Sitecore is a company, it's like a you know uh, marketing type uh, CDP, customer data platform. And let's say I said something like this. Um, hey, Linda, it's uh, Salman from Sitecore. Uh, you're not expecting my call. Do you have a minute? I promise to be brief. Um, been speaking to quite a few digital marketing leaders in your space, and uh, they're facing a problem of disparate data. What we do is we centralize all of that customer data in one place. So you have customer data at your fingertips that allows you to share personalized real-time offers for your customers on digital channels, leading to higher conversion rates. What I said in that statement right there, they may say, I'm not interested. Why? What did you catch in that statement? I talked about capabilities. I talked about my language. What is my language? My language is all the capabilities, all the features, and all the functionalities that we bring to the table. Very little did I talk about the problem. So the thing is, when you're catching your prospects off guard in the middle of a meeting or before they head into their next meeting, what are they dealing with? They're dealing with the daily problems that they're facing on a day-to-day basis. They're putting out those fires. And if you're not, they, they're not expecting your call. They're not thinking about, oh, I could use a solution that could help me with this, but they're thinking about how do I get through these problems and obstacles in my day-to-day so I can hit my goals for the day. So if you're not speaking their language, that's off. So what if you could flip that script and say something like this? Um, Hey, Linda, um, this is Salman from Sitecore. You're not expecting my call. Do you have a minute? I promise to be brief. Sure. Um, I've been speaking to quite a few digital leaders um, in in your space, and, and typically what I'm finding is two things. Number one is that their customer data is scattered across a dozen different systems, which is pretty difficult to access. And number two, uh, their team spends quite a bit of time, typically hours per day, cobbling up that data to make sense of it. And this leads to poor customer experiences across digital channels and lower conversion rates. Does that resonate or am I off base here? What did you hear in that statement? I didn't mention anything about our features. I didn't mention anything about our product or capabilities. I focused on the prospect's language. So that usually will resonate more because you're speaking their language, not yours. Is that, so that, that's, that's the first. Now, the second use case of not interested is, let's just say, you know, somebody says, I'm not interested after the opening. You know, you give your permission. And there's, there's lots of openings. I, I just prefer the permission-based, you know, whatever opening works for you, use it. But let's say, let's say I do my opening and they say, hey, listen, you know, Salman, I'm not interested. I'm just not interested. When you didn't even get a chance to talk about the problem, you could say something like this. And, and that's a brush off, right? That's an example of a brush off. Say something like this. Uh, hey, Linda, totally get it. Uh, tell me if I'm off base here, but would you be opposed to uh, hearing some of the typical problems we found folks in your role face that we solve for? And then you can decide whether we should part ways or continue talking, right? So just bring up the fact that, hey, I haven't even talked about the problems. Do you mind giving me 15 seconds just to walk through some of the common problems that I'm talking to folks in your role? And that builds credibility. If you say, hey, I'm speaking to leaders or VPs and directors in your space on a daily basis, would you be opposed to hearing some of the problems that I'm hearing about? That builds a little bit of credibility. So that's the first one. Um, And then briefly, 
on, on the second one that you have there, which is, you know, a very, very common, um, you know, uh, objection that you're going to hear is we don't have bud budget for new technology. And I'll go through this fairly quickly, but there's a couple of use cases here. The first use case is let's they they say it right after your opening. So you have your opening, like a permission-based opening, and they say, hey, listen, Salman, we don't have budget for new technology. Um, you could say something like this. Hey, when you say we, what do you mean by that? And Josh Ron likes to bring this up, so credit to him. The reason you say that is when you say we, what do you mean? Because the reason for asking is because you want to get a better understanding of where that budget is coming from. Uh, typically, is it a team budget, an org budget? Uh, and then you could say something like this. Um, hey, totally get it. Uh, that's actually the reason for my call. I wasn't expecting you to have budget available coming out of the blue like this. But if and when funding does become available, do you mind if I just take 30 seconds of your time to tell you about some of the two or three common problems I'm seeing for folks facing a role that we solve for? If that resonates, great. If it doesn't, we can shake hands and move on. Is that unfair, right? The second use case is, let's say you've talked about the problem. So you brought up the problem uh, and that problem resonates with them and you have a little back and forth over the cold call. And then they say something like, hey, listen, Salman, it sounds great. Uh, it, it's a problem today. Yeah, it is. But Salman, we just don't have the budget today available. And let me preface this with this. And and, and Nate knows this really well. And Sydney and Mary, you know this well. Um, budgets are, are, are created. And Nate, you talk about this often. In all my years of selling, rarely have I found when I uncovered a problem that budgets were just sitting there. It's not like they have a million dollars of budget that's sitting there to address the problem that you're bringing up. It's not going to happen. But if you find a big enough problem that executives care about, and if it's blocking a priority, they will find the budget, I guarantee you. So let's say they say it's a problem today, but we just don't have the budget. You could say something like this. Um, hey, Linda, thanks for sharing that. Um, I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries, or I hope I don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, but from your experience, have you ever seen non-budgeted projects get funding if it was a big enough reason, uh, sorry, if it was a big enough problem for the business, right? And if the answer is, yeah, you know, we've seen it, but it doesn't happen often, then you could say something like this, curious to know about what would need to happen to make funding available. Would there need to be buy-in from key stakeholders other than yourself? Would there need to be a business case? And based on that response, you could, you know, lastly say something like that. Um, if this problem you're facing is making a big enough impact on the business, would that warrant uh, diving into a further conversation? And, and, you know, Linda, I want to be completely respectful of your time. If you feel it is, we can dive in further, um, if not totally understand, and they can share some social proof. So that's how I would tackle those, uh, those challenges. I really love that the core theme there is working with the prospect and helping to make their life easier, right? Because it's true, we're interrupting them out of the blue, especially for cold calling, and then just demanding them to use their brain power to try and understand why we're calling versus just helping them understand. Nate, I know your big focus is on helping to build champions and helping to sell with your buyers. What is your take on that? And, you know, advice for helping to make the message as clear as possible and taking as much of the workload off of the prospect as possible? Yeah, I mean, if, if um, I'll just say what Salman was doing there that was a just brilliant job is he was thinking through and talking about process with the champion, almost as if like, if you think about the posture and you were to like visualize it, instead of sitting across the table, he's like, hey, let me pull up a chair. Let me swing around. I'm going to sit down and we'll look at this together. You know, let's think about if if it is worth the uh, time, effort and energy to go about solving this problem together, how might we go about creating the budget? Let's talk through the process. But let's make sure that we're on the same page. Like, 
you know, is this is this truly worth it? Like, is the problem big enough to make sense to go through this together? And it's like, okay, um, back to some of the other principles that he was talking about is leading with permission and agreement is like, before we go into troubleshooting anything, it's just like, do we want to do this together? Are we on the same page? All right, great. You know, let's take the first step. Here's what that could look like. And I think that's a perfect introduction to an objection that you face a lot, a little bit later in the funnel, right? Like you've maybe had your first demo, you're starting to build some champions, you're liking the conversation, and then they hit you with the, you know what, you're too expensive. How do you navigate that once you've already kind of started that conversation? And it's not just the initial fact finding of, could this potentially be a fit? You know, you have some buy-in and then where do you go from here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the too expensive piece is an interesting one, mostly because it's a compound objection, meaning there are a couple different factors that could all be rolling up into it. Like sometimes there is just a reality where somebody is like looking at a specific line item in a budget and they're like, I know this is already allocated. I don't want to spend over this. You are more expensive than this, right? And so there can be a like fact-based objection in the sense that that's a roadblock to work through. On the flip side, it's also a function of value is like, I don't think it's worth it is the other way to translate you're too expensive is it's not worth this. And that's where you need to uncover a little bit more. And a hypothetical could be really helpful to say is like, um, got it. This seems too expensive. Um, if we say for a second that this was no cost, like you guys could roll this out tomorrow, use it and pay nothing for it. Would that be the right move? Like, would that be the right fit? Um, why might it not be the right fit? And maybe we could talk through that because what you're doing is uncovering like, look, if it's not the right fit, anything, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this to somebody is like, if this isn't the right fit, if we're not feeling confident that it's the right path forward, then anything that you spend on this is going to be way too expensive. I wholly agree with you there. So maybe we could, we could look at that first and then we can come back around and work together on the budget. And usually that leads to unraveling the thread a little bit to understand what's going on inside their mind a little bit more. Because um, again, value is very, it's very um, subjective. Like for my wife, she loves paying for her Orange Theory membership and it's like 190 bucks a month. And I'm like, I'll just walk down to like the community center that's already free and I'll use the weights from the 1990s. And that's great with me. Like you know, for me, the value isn't there in Orange Theory, but for her, she loves it. She loves the community, the classes. That's where her friends go, you know, and she's all about it. So, um, Sienna, nice. Looks like you're an or Orange Theory fan too. It's pretty great. Um, I think, um, again, what's really important there is that it's really, really hard because sometimes people say, like, try and figure out what the real objection is. And if somebody tells you it's too expensive, I've always found it extremely difficult to understand like, okay, but what else could there be? How do I figure that out? So I think that's such a clever way to actually get to the bottom of, you know, if they say, mm, you know, maybe still wouldn't be the right fit, like you're right. Instead of wasting a bunch of time trying to figure out how to convince them that the price is right, you got to first see if the product is even right. Mm -hmm. um, I know we're going to get into the role plays a little bit later and that's put you on the spot too much, but would you mind walking us through what this might look like? Maybe you're, you're selling to Salman, Salman, comes and says, hey, this is a bit too expensive. Can we walk through what that conversation would look like? Yeah, for sure. Um, Salman, great chatting with you, man. What are you thinking about? Yeah, you know, Nate, I had a chance to look over the proposal. Uh, a great presentation, by the way, yesterday. Uh, the team and I got together, looked through the proposal, and we're, we're just not seeing uh, 
you know, eye to eye on it internally because there's some folks that are just saying it's it's a uh, it's a little too expensive, uh, it's out of our price range, and I'm just not sure if we can. We we hit a roadblock. Yeah, we 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 hit a roadblock. Yeah, well, um, for Saman, thank you for bringing it to the team in the first place and making sure that it was on the agenda and part of the discussion with the team. Um, I'm I'm glad, by the way, that we were hearing some of the feedback from the team because sometimes it's just like, hey, what are people thinking? So I'd, I'd um, love to maybe understand from your perspective, let's just say there was no team and it was Salman's like, hey, this is Salman's company project choice. How are you personally feeling about it? Yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good. Like it's it's solving some of my big problems uh, that I've been dealing with for the last couple of months uh, and that I, I see the immediate value. It's, uh, you know, my VP and, and director that are a little concerned uh, as they're not sure how it's going to help tackle their problems uh, on, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and when you think about the problems that they are tackling day to day, sometimes they may just be focused on other things and they're just not as interested in this particular project. Other times it could be, you know, this project is aligned, but we just haven't maybe clarified that for them or they're missing that. Um, is either of those the case based on your understanding of kind of where they're at projects that they're thinking about? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of projects on the docket over the next couple of months that that may have use cases that you can solve for. And I think, you know, if they can have a better understanding of how your your platform can help address and align to those use cases, there might be some value there. So it's, it's a fair point. Yeah. And if, um, let's say you guys were talking about that later on, you know, me came up in a one-on-one with them and you were kind of walking through the link between what we've been planning and then some of those forthcoming projects that they're focused on rolling out. Is there a link between the two? I'd be interested to hear how you might walk walk through that link with them. Yeah, I, I think there is a link, but I, I I mean, you're the expert. I'd love to sit down with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, congrats on, on the new book that you launched recently as well, Buying with Seller. So I think uh, I've read uh, the first chapter and I think that sitting down with you and mapping that out would be great. Uh, we can have the role play now. <laughs> Go on, but... Uh, no, but I, I, I love Nate's point about just, uh, you know, Nate is all about aligning with the buyers, that those decisions are made um, uh, when you're not in the room. So I think he asks the right type of questions of, you know, what are the use cases? What are the projects on the docket that this could align to? So um, I, th- I think it was great. There was, there was um, thanks. And there was one interesting point in, in there that Salman raised is he wasn't just bringing up the proposal, he was bringing up the team. And it was framed as not as, hey, this seems too expensive to me. The feedback that I'm hearing from others is that this is too expensive. And so the question is, um, okay, like what are they thinking about and where are they coming from? And oftentimes, especially if we don't have direct engagement from the VP level contact, like in this scenario, they may be thinking about like, this is less important to me than this other thing. Therefore, I want to spend on this. And so it's in the context of other stuff that's going on versus... I'm looking at the value of this project on its own. And so that's where kind of clarifying the link, does this help? Does this relate or does it distract completely from those things? That was kind of the angle that we were going down. Well, I feel like it's easy as sellers for us to think that the thing we're selling exists in a vacuum. And since it's our only focus, we assume it's like their only focus too. And obviously it's not. So I think that's such a useful way to understand what other priorities are happening what else is going on? What sort of ripple effects your tool and your sale might have on the rest of their company? Um, I'm just so excited to go back and watch this and take more notes later. So thank you for that gold. Um, 
We've got one more of these mid-funnel objections we want to run through before we go to the rest of the role plays. Nate, can you walk us through what happens? You know, you're, you're talking to the person. Um, you want to go ahead and get them into the product, but they want to get to the product without actually paying or, you know, committing to anything. How does that work? Yeah. So um, usually what I'll, I'll try to understand and ask is, is there any particular part of what we've been looking at walking through where you're having a hard time visualizing how this would look, feel if it was already rolled out for you? Like one part where it's like, ah, I'm having a hard time figuring out if this this will work. And what, what we can do is it's not that you have to withhold product access. Like uh, many times it can accelerate some of the deal because they believe that this is going to solve or work for them in their case. And so what I might try to understand is, um, is there one isolated piece? And ideally what I'll do is I'll say, well, great, you know, would it be helpful just to get you in there like right now? And while on a call inside of a demo environment, I have demo data, things are set. I'll just turn over screen control to them. And I'll be like, let's walk through the workflow together. And so instead of withholding, I'll try to contain the access to like right then and there on the call, let's overcome it. Because what you don't want to do is just like, oftentimes it's like a big playground is like, you know, go nuts and people wander around, not really doing anything productive in order to remove doubt or skepticism that is blocking them from moving forward. And so I think about product access as closing the believability gap or a way in which somebody sees I'm not sure that this is actually going to work for me. I feel like we have a unique scenario or set of requirements at this area. And so if you can understand what they believe is so unique and then show that to them very precisely within the product, you can turn a free trial into more of a guided demo um, and keep things moving altogether. I think that's a really smart way to actually understand um Kind of the theme of what we've been talking about, like what's actually a real objection, what's not. It's just like, no, I just need to see the platform. But if they can't come up with anything specific they want to see or any reasons why, you know, it's probably less of a serious buyer. So I think that's that's a really clever way to approach that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it, if I can t- uh, touch uh, further on Nate's point, I think I think it's a common objection that a lot of sellers face. And I think Nate handled it beautifully. And in addition to that, the most, like when you show a demo, one of the most common questions you're going to get at, at the end of the demo, which is pretty natural, is can we get access to a trial, right? Can we get access to your product for 30 days? And what I did early in my career is I just gave it away. <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. Let me set you up with the trial. There you go. Never heard from them again. All I was doing was following up and I was getting ghosted. And I guarantee you, this is the most common place that sellers lose control over their deal is at the end of demos. That, that's the most common place because we lose control because if we get answered questions, we give them a trial. I think the first point, today's point is to understand the why. Uh, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish uh, via a trial? And you might get an answer like, hey, we were just hoping that it had this capability or that feature. And maybe you just show that on the fly or book another call to show it. So you avoid that. But sometimes they need to have a trial. Sometimes it's, it's mandatory. Like, hey, listen, uh, we've been, you know, evaluating technology for the last few years. And every time before we purchase the technology, we have to, our team has to get our hands dirty with the product for 30 days. So if that's the case, that's fine. But the, the, the top track that I like to use to take better control of the deal, I might say something like this. I'll say, hey, we can definitely get your hands on a trial, but to make sure that you make the best investment of your time and resources, 
we want to make sure we're aligned on a few things. Number one is clearly defining the one or two use cases that you want to prove out. We've talked a little bit about that at the demo discovery, just outlining and documenting that. Number two is clearly outlining the success criteria for this pilot, for this trial, whatever you want to call it. Um, is it ease of use? Is it ensuring we meet certain KPIs? Is it proving out the use cases? And if we meet those in those 30 days, we have a plan to roll that out. And number three is having regular touch points with you and your leadership team. Because what we find is that usually when we give customers access to a trial, there's a lot of questions that come up in the first week or two. We don't want to leave you hanging. We want to work with you. We want to get, you know, roll up our sleeves together to help answer those questions. Is that an unfair ask? And then what you do is you put together an email or a Google doc, outline those three items, get the, and that's how you take control of your deal versus just kind of letting them go and play around with their own. Yeah. Sounds like I, I know for myself and probably a lot of reps, a lot of this requires a mindset shift of instead of hearing objections, it's like, oh, darn, okay, this is going to slow things down. I don't know what to do about this. It's just an extra chance to be creative and prove how valuable of a partner you can be and kind of help actually solve the problems that you're there to solve. So I really appreciate the way that you framed everything. Um, I do want to jump into some more role plays because I know everybody's looking forward to that. Everyone in the chat as well, we will save a few minutes at the end for a Q&A. So be sure to throw your questions in that Q&A box. Um, any particular objections you want to go over, anything like that, we will make some time at the end. So we have our first objection here. And I know anyone who's calling people, um, this is probably, you know, bringing up some um like fight or flight response in you a little bit like it's the worst thing you want to hear right you have carefully prepared for your call you got their attention and then they just shut you down with the call me back in three months how how do you go about approaching that um if you want to show us live that would be amazing yeah awesome so i'll be the uh, uh cat executive or sdr and then nate if you want to be the prospect and i'll be going through a cold call script feel free to jump in anytime with the with the objection cool 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 uh okay great uh, okay. Hey, hey, Nate. Uh, this is uh, Salman at Boomi. Uh, you're not expecting my call. Do you have uh, about a minute? I promise to be brief. Uh, I Yeah, like 60 seconds. I'll be jumping into a meeting soon, but yeah, I got a minute. Awesome. Uh, I'm curious. Do you use any apps like Salesforce, AWS, NetSuite, SAP, or Workday today? Uh, yeah, we, we use a couple of those like AWS, Workday. So yeah, a handful. Curious. Oh, that's awesome. Curious. Uh, do you currently have a way to uh, connect data between those applications? And, and if you do, how do you typically do that? Um, some of them, not all of them. Um, and we've kind of been stitching together some different um, workflows with like Zapier if we don't have a direct integration. So there's kind of some duct tape in there. Got it. Uh, the reason I ask that, Nate, is because typically what we're finding is that development teams are, are relying on like, you know, Excel or a lot of design plus coding kind of band-aid approach, typical tools like Zapier, uh, basically a ton of manual work that may be error prone. And when business requirements change, IT has to re-architect a lot of those apps. Uh, and what this results in is integrations taking several weeks or months. Is, is that something that resonates or am I off totally off base here? Uh, so the meeting that I'm actually jumping in is about the fact that we've been hearing about things breaking from basically our business users. And so we only ever figure out that something needs to be updated when there's an issue to solve. So your timing is pretty remarkable. Okay, well, that that's uh, understand that. And to your point, you know, and I know you have to run it in about a minute. Uh, the platform actually allows you to easily integrate 
those important apps that you mentioned by creating that clean front end in a low code environment, which which you mentioned you're you're, you're suffering from. Um, and we've actually helped a lot of your industry peers cut processing times from months to just a few days. Hey, hey listen, I, I did promise that I'd be brief and I'm know you're yeah. Would it be a terrible idea to grab a few minutes early next week to learn more so I can walk you through how we could potentially help and, and just understand those problems a little bit better? Yeah, well, so we're going through a bunch of planning right now, um, and we'll have a pretty good point of view of where this project will kind of fall maybe like January, February next year. So if you want to give me a ring then, that'd be great. Um, I can definitely do that. Uh, before I let you go, Nate, uh, usually when folks tell me to, to call back in three months, it, it usually means that there's something happening in the business that may warrant the need. And you did mention that you have some projects that would warrant the need to solve that problem. Is that correct? Or am I, am I misunderstanding that? No, you're, yeah, no, that's right. We do. Uh, we just have a lot of projects. So where exactly it'll fall and when we'll tackle it, um, I don't yet know. Okay. So how about this? Um, I know you have to run. I want to be respectful of your time. Can I send you an invite for three months from now where we can chat as these projects come up so we can lock that in uh, just so that, um, you know, I have to, you know, you know, bombard you with emails uh, as a follow-up. Can we lock that in really quickly? Yeah, that's cool. Um, my calendar should be pretty open, you know, so feel free to send it and I'll accept or propose a new time. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Well, we'll end it there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was, I tried to throw you for a loop a little bit of like, oh yeah, let's go for it. This meeting. But by the way, January is going to be better timing. So you did phenomenal, even with a little curveball of trying to say, like I, I saw um, Rajan say best prospect ever. I started to be the best prospect and then I threw it in there. How different would that have looked if you had sent um, an email and said, you know, this is kind of the situation that I'm seeing a lot and the interest in discussing. And then Nay responds and says, yeah, that sounds cool, but try me back in three months. I mean, I understand that probably picking up the phone and calling is going to be a good option. Um, but if you are communicating mostly over email, how different would that talk track look for you? Yeah, totally. That's a good question. Uh, so, so I think, uh, I, I don't think we need to do another role play with send me an email, but if Nate would say, Hey, listen, you know, sounds great or whatever, send me an email that that's usually a brush off and whether it happens, uh, early or later, it, it can be a brush off sometimes. And you have to understand the why behind that. And I think the first thing I would say to Nate is something like this. Um, hey, I can definitely send over an email, uh, but to sure it, ensure it's relevant to you, what are you specifically looking for? And I'd pause just to get a sense of, is it really a brush off or is there something that Nate is truly looking for that might bring value? Um, and then I could ask something like this potentially, or another talk track is, hey, Nate, sure, I can definitely send over an email, but to ensure it's relevant, would it be for you or do you plan on sharing it with someone else in your organization? And Nate mentioned, obviously, you know, there's teams in his organization that are, that are doing this today. So that's, that, that's why that question might be a little bit more specific to him. And another talk track that you could use that may just kind of test them to see if Nate's really serious or he's just trying to rush me off is that you can say something like this, Hey, you know, usually when I find folks, uh, don't have anyone in mind, it usually means it may not be a priority. And the last thing I want is to send an email and it gets buried in your inbox, Nate. So if it's not, if it's not important at the moment and are not a priority, can you tell me, is that the case or am I off base here? Right. And the reason I add like, am I off base here? Often you probably hear me say that is because I don't want to make an assumption. The moment you make an assumption about something, your process will be like, well, wait a second, that's not right. But if you say, am I off base, 
you know, prospects like correcting people. So I, if I want to be corrected, so I would use some of those chat tracks if, uh, in that case. Um, there is a great question in the chat from Kathy. She says, what about mentioning that meeting now would enable your prospect to have more insights for like the planning that they're doing over the next three months? Is that an approach that you take? Yeah, you know, I definitely would uh, consider that approach because I think, uh, you know, one one of the objections I get often is something like that, or, you know, I'm worried we have a new VP uh, joining the organization in the next couple of months, but we probably won't want to look at it until he joins. I think, you know, to get those insights and understand the problems ahead of time so that when that VP joins or when those projects get launched, they actually know how uh, your platform can solve some of those problems. And you could use a talk track with something like this. Uh, hey, listen, I understand that you said that some of these projects are being launched in the next three months. Uh, you know, usually what we find is that a lot of those use cases and problems are being mapped out ahead of time. Uh, would it be a terrible idea if we schedule some time just so we can understand that a little bit better so that when those projects do get launched in a few months, you know exactly how we can help you. So something like that to tackle that challenge, to get a meeting on the books sooner rather than later would be definitely a good approach as well. And uh, I'll add on um, Kathy's question there and to exactly what Salman was talking about earlier is the fact that there's a meeting upcoming that they're referencing gives you a very like practical opportunity to talk about that agenda is to say, um, so this idea of connecting workflows to avoid rework, you know, broken architectures that you're constantly having to rebuild. Um, where do you think that would fall in priority on the meeting agenda? Like, would you put this up close to like one or two, or is this going to be pushed down to four or five and maybe you don't even cover it? And then you just kind of get a sense. And if they're like, oh, you know, middle of the road. And then I like um, someone's phrasing is like, now I could be totally off base here, but often what we found is that if a new a new um, system is going to be rolled out without thinking about the foundation for connecting it to the others first, oftentimes that order of operations is less than ideal because then it leads to these issues. So if there's anything to that, it may make sense rather than in January just to look at, could this actually pave the way or build a foundation for all of those other rollouts? System you know, launches that you just mentioned you're working on. Um, and it's just kind of pulling in as like, hey, we've seen people make this mistake. I don't want you to make that mistake. Here's a way to think about it. But again, you know your organization best, so feel free to correct. Um, I have a question from Jim. I think Nate, this will be a good one for you. He said, he's asking about your take on an LOI versus a contract to shape the trial or be sure we can meet again and sign based on results. Yeah, so... Jim, my kind of favorite version of the contract, obviously it's ideal. Like if you have a contract, um, then it is an opt-out structure where if you agree to, hey, we do we do a trial, we do a proof of concept, we hit these proof points back to what Salman was talking about, then we're aligned on the vision for how this expands. And if we can't deliver those proof points in this timeline, then contract terminates, you guys can opt out, you know, and be on your way. So you're de-risking the idea because you have a clear out memorialized in the contract. However, um, and by the way, this oftentimes is the preference of your champion. If you just talk about, you know, many times what can slow progress, like we can build up some incredible momentum and then we have to cut it all just based on all of the timeline to go through security, to go through legal. So one approach that we found effective with others is setting up this structure where we clear all of that. And you guys have a clear opt out. It might balance both speed and risk. What do you think? 
if if that that's not going to work in this case, then I think an LOI is still stronger than just talking about it because the act of putting a written signature on something like people will think and it will trigger a, you know, extra critical lens to say is this really what I want us to be doing right now is it that important that I'm going to say yes sign us up for it. Amazing. Thank you for that answer. Um Salman, I have one more quick question for you from Nadine. This goes back to our initial not interested brush off. Um, says I work in a regulated industry, so chances are they already have someone in place or are doing it manually. How would you advise I open the call to try and prevent that brush off? And unfortunately, we just have like 20 seconds. Now, yeah, one thing I'll say that a lot of AEs tend to miss in discovery and cold calls is that your prospects are getting the job done today. Like whether you like it or not, without your solution, they're getting it done, right? It may not be the most efficient way to get from point A to B. It may, may, may not be the most effective way, but they're getting it done today. It's your job to understand what that use case and workflow is and opening it up, acknowledging that and saying, this is how typically folks do it today. Does that resonate or all off base? Then you can get into it. I know that's a short answer, but uh, I can go in more detail. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so sorry about that. Um, thank you so much for both of your time today. Thank you so much, everyone who attended. Um, if you found this valuable, be sure to go to our website, sellbetter.xyz. Check us out on TikTok, YouTube, or Instagram. Um, Nate, Salman, where can the people find you? Uh, if I'm on LinkedIn, I'm there. <laughs> Agreed. LinkedIn, and if you're you're curious to go long form, you can always check out our blog, fluent.io backslash blog. Um, and there's like 100,000 words of content on there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for attending. Be sure to connect with both Nate and Salman. They have an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, hope you have an amazing Halloween last day of the month. And yeah, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Bye.